You're listening to episode 223 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Everyone listening and watching at home, please, I beg of you to please donate to my new GoFundMe I just created. Our dumb boy Marco Cunolata, who's not here today, just went bankrupt because he invested all his money into Time Warner. Why do you think DC would go up after all this? We don't know. <laughs> and responding to like AMC and GameStop, he thought, you know what? DC Comics, that's where the money's at. The next great meme stock, of course. Yep. Yeah, that's what he thought. And he, you know, I know some people are putting their money into Dogecoin right now. He's putting his into Zack Snyder coin. <laughs> like, what's he thinking? That, that hasn't been relevant in 10 years. <laughs> the, the thing is, though, he could be predicting the market, right? Snyder Cut comes out. It's a hit. Snyder coin goes straight to the top. Marco's a rich man. Well, we ride his coattails. But right now he's bankrupt. Well, that's what we need the listener's help. Yeah, he, he's living in a cardboard box as we speak. Certainly no Wi-Fi, so he can't be on the show today. <laughs> so, no wife either. You think she's going to live in a cardboard box? <laughs> Mariana is not broke. She kicked him out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, so we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, there's a lot of news. Thank you guys for joining us today. Um, excited to be here. And... We've got, like I said, we've got a lot to talk about. There's an X vote going on. We're going to be discussing who we voted for and why. Uh, we finally got a release date for the Snyder Cut. And uh, Keanu Reeves is telling you where to buy your comics. So, lots to talk about. If you guys want to join in on the conversations, there's lots of ways to do that. Uh, make sure that you guys are rating us and reviewing us wherever it is that you listen to the show uh if you want to talk to us hit us up on social media at the comics pals you can write to us at the comics pals at gmail.com if you're watching this on youtube right now thank you very much make sure that you guys are hitting that subscribe button liking the video uh commenting and sharing it with your friends all of those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you you can join our discord server where a lot of these conversations will spin off into their own things over there. Um, and make sure that you guys are checking out our WandaVision review show. We watch WandaVision. Uh, we review every episode of the show as it airs. Every Saturday we drop a new episode of that. So uh, come check us out if you're enjoying that show or you just want to hear us talk about it. Um, definitely also go listen to our Civil War book club. We had a lot of fun producing that for you guys and uh, it's out now it's been out for a week so if you want to catch up with what we read for it check out our instagram instagram page for that and uh yeah listen to us debate who's better captain america or iron man like this is a 2000s message board or something (laughs) (laughs) um and uh, speaking of joining in on the conversation, we've actually got a bunch of comments that we are going to uh, get through here. So, Pete, take it away. This first one comes from uh, James Jackson over on episode 222 uh, on over on YouTube. 
And uh, this was when we were talking about the uh, DC Universe app and its evolving uh, strategy to being more comics focused. Um, so James wrote in and said, I'm someone who had the DC Universe app and was paid up through the transition. So I'm still on the news on the new setup. From what I've seen, compared to the selection that was on the app when it came to TV and movies, it's been a major downgrade. Right now, the only things promised to go on to HBO Max are some of the straight-to-DVD movies, Batman the Animated Series, and Batman Beyond, and the originals. Meanwhile... <clears throat> on the old app, they had everything from every Justice League cartoon series ever, Lois and Clark, Krypton, and others. Thanks for the comment, James. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely weird. It's very weird. I can't imagine how it would feel like anything but a downgrade. People who initially bought in on the service did so under the premise that they would have access to not only comics but uh movies and you know tv shows and all that jazz um and now you just don't and i'm I'm really surprised at anybody who decides to stick around who's who, who initially joined it for that um but i am interested in whether or not new people will join up based on how it's configured now, whether or not it makes sense to even get this, when you could just get yeah. HBO Max. Yeah. Is it the same price? Uh, yep. It is the same price Whoa. still? Whoa. Yep. Yeah, Whoa. I think I think it's going to depend on how they expand the library over time. Like, I think I could see a lot of people who are like James and are kind of paid up right now, and then when their subscription lapses, they walk away. And maybe people come back as it becomes a more attractive service and they add more books and they have more exclusive comics. But um, I'd be surprised if there wasn't a steep drop off. And yeah, I don't I don't blame you for feeling burned in this scenario. Um, as far as the uh, TV and movie content that's not on HBO Max yet, I would imagine that they're probably going to have like a tiered rollout where like they'll put that stuff on there over time so that they can – you know, keep claiming that they have new things coming to HBO Max, and unless you already had the DC app, you don't really, you know, if you're an average consumer and you didn't already have that app, to you, it's just new content coming to HBO Max, right? You don't know the difference. Rather than all of it coming at once and then kind of just being a blip. This is why you can't invest in Time Warner right now, guys. The DC Universe app's not going up. It's going down. <laughs> Flush down to jam. Speaking to what Pete just said, uh, this month, HBO Max is getting, I should say February, HBO Max is getting um, a ton of the DC films back. Uh, Aquaman's coming back. Oh, cool. Air Steel's coming back. Justice League um, Animated, actually, is coming back. Uh, Brave and the Bold is coming back. Batman movies. All this stuff that was gone for a few months is now coming back, so... Even more reason to subscribe. Something like 40 million people have HBO Max now. Since, Pretty good. Uh, since Wonder Woman. Yeah, I mean, when you think of, like, how rocky the launch was for it, like, we talked about it on this show. Like, the the messaging of it was pretty muddled, and it, it definitely had a rocky start. So, you know, this is definitely something like another – it's another feather in their cap. Definitely. Um, also from this same episode, our conversation on – the mutants as minorities metaphor. I wanted to read a comment we got from the Discord um, by Sultan of Swing. He said, uh, loved the mutant metaphor talk on episode 222. And I asked him, you know, where he stood on the subject. And he said, probably somewhere in the middle. Assuming an author hates any group of people, 
because violence happens to a person that may or may not be an allegory of that group in the author's book is idiotic, especially when that person is one of the good guys in the story. As far as the X-Men specifically go, I agree that assigning direct historical parallels to comic book characters is problematic, but I don't think that mutants have incredibly... Mutants having incredibly high power levels invalidates the comparison to other minority groups, in some stories anyway. I don't think every X-Men story is that way, but a lot certainly are. Superman isn't really about a super strong alien, it's about what that character can tell us about humanity. And the results will vary depending on the creators involved and how you feel about certain issues. Though I guess it's also a little bit about a super strong alien. Well said. Yeah, thanks for that addition. Alien go punch. All right, so uh, this next one <clears throat> comes from uh, Catherine Stars over on our WandaVision 1 and 2 uh, review, who wrote in and said, I'm so happy you guys are covering this. I mean, I figured you would, but still, it was great to hear your thoughts and commentary, especially what you thought of the different stylistic choices being made. I was really – I didn't know what to expect from the show besides the obvious they are imitating different sitcoms of different eras. I personally think it's been uh, done very well so far and I found it enjoyable, especially because it's not just funny sitcom the entire time. You know something is off. Can't wait to watch more and hear more from y'all. Thank you, Catherine. Appreciate it. Uh, Catherine also had another comment on the third episode, but um, it's got spoilers. So uh, if okay. you want to check out um, – WandaVision or hear our thoughts, definitely do uh, listen to our show. We watch WandaVision, which, again, new episodes drop every single Saturday, so we're all caught up. Um, So, yeah, go check that out. Go check it out. Episode 4 was a doozy. Uh, we also got a couple other comments uh, for on episode 1 and 2. Uh, we got one from MJ, who said, Awesome review, boys. Keep up the great work. Uh, and then we got one from Put Woodlin. Uh, who commented on the episode three review, who said, my dad and I also made a review video on the episode. Love seeing y'all together. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Here's to the dads. Um, Shout out to dads. That's something we don't talk about very often. He, let's. <laughs> hey, here's to the dads. <laughs> Appreciate all the nice comments. Uh, it, it's, uh, it means a lot. It's definitely fuel to keep doing this. So, um, yeah, keep it up. Keep right now. You guys keep it up. We we are gonna keep it up. We got nothing else to do, but you guys <laughs> keep listening, keep commenting, uh, keep interacting. We really appreciate it. So let's jump into the pals polls. From Pete, we've got Future State, Superman of Metropolis, number two. Yeah, so we talked about this um three weeks ago, maybe? I don't know. It's a couple episodes back. Uh, Marco's not here, so we'll have to figure out the number ourselves, I guess. But uh, we, we talked about kind of the state of, of what's going on right now with all the, the future state books. And, um, you know, I think your mileage is going to vary on on some of them. But uh, I, I was interested enough in, in what was set up in Superman of Metropolis, number one, um, to want to see it through considering it's so short. Um, I like the idea of a Jonathan Kent book where he's um, kind of living in Clark's shadow and having to live up to that legacy. Um, I think that there's there's a lot of meat on that bone. So um, whether this will be the place to really get that that story to its fullest potential is probably, you know, remains to be seen. But um, but but I, I want to see where it goes. Cool. Kale chose uh, Colonel Weird Cosmogog. What's that? So this is uh, yet another... Black Hammer spinoff mm. book. I feel like 
the, the first issue came out the last time I was here on the show. I was going to say, this sounds familiar to me. Yeah. Uh, so this is Jeff Lemire and uh, Tyler Crook. Uh, Marco said he picked up the issues. He really liked it. Uh, but this is the story of the weird cosmonaut, uh, Colonel Weird, uh, who goes off into space and ends up in uh, a weird cosmic situation that puts his life in peril and also his sanity. Oh, what a sell. Um, and he's uh, he's sort of a weird uh, ether character that floats around in, in the main Black Hammer story. Uh, he just kind of appears out of nowhere and prophesize doom and then it happens and then he disappears and this is that story i guess hmm. kill will there ever be a week on this show where you do not add a black hammer book to your pals pulls let me one up you no <laughs> nor will there be a week where i don't talk about chainsaw man this week <laughs> chainsaw man volume three comes out uh, which is just a uh, you know a reprint of the 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 chapters, but it's you know a collected edition. I can't say much more about Chainsaw Man. It's Men in Black with uh, Mountain Dew in its veins. Um, <laughs> with a guy it's awesome with a fucking chainsaw for a face. That it's sounds re- great. Rules. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, Phil chose Wolverine number nine. Yeah. Uh, now that we're out of the ten of swords stuff. Uh, Ben Percy can get back to business with Adam Kubert. Uh, so this week, if you look at the cover, uh, it is Wolverine's fist being sold at an auction. So we'll see what that uh, means. <laughs> uh, and the description says he has to basically infiltrate uh, underground society of uh, criminals. So it sounds like back to business as usual for our, our good Canadian uh, steel boy. Because he's made out of steel, right? <laughs> Cyclops and Gene are back in the 90s. Why not Wolverine? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sounds like a lot of fun. I chose uh, Deep Beyond, number one. This is by Mirka Andolfo uh, with David Goy writing and then Andrea Bricardo on art. Uh, Anything that Mirka Andolfo does, I will buy. Um, Mm. At least a first issue to give her a shot. She's super talented. Um, I found her through the book Unnatural, which uh, is very weird. And uh, I believe she's an Italian creator. And these books get uh, translated um, through some sort of deal with image. But she's uh, very, very good at what she does. And um, Unnatural, although weird and although kind of looty, um, is... Real good. I, I really enjoy the story, genuinely. And I think I think actually uh Matt Murphy also uh likes Mirka's work. But um Dude, if you've this never was... so yeah. If this you've never heard of her scary. before, uh I think it's worth your time. Um at least unnatural is, and therefore I believe this one will be Mercy is another one of hers that's really popular. So um she's just a a, a real talent and I think um I'm I'm excited to see what this book has i don't even know what it's about it doesn't really matter she hasn't disappointed so i'm gonna buy it and if i like it i like it that's kind of just some some creators just earn that spot with people for me she's one of them dude this art is spooky (laughs) like it looks creepy as fuck (laughs) yeah definitely and i'm i'm all in on creepy art that's for sure some eldritch horror horror nonsense (laughs) 
Yeah. So, uh, just in case you weren't tired of elections, <laughs> Marvel has an election of their own. This time for the X-Men, it is the X-Election of 2021. It's going on right now. Uh, you can actually vote to decide who will be the final member of the X-Men. Uh, we'll include a link to the actual vote itself so that you guys can cast your vote. Uh, voting began on Wednesday. It ends this Tuesday, February 2nd. So if you're listening to this on the day that this episode drops, you've got about a day to go ahead and actually vote. Um, and here are the candidates. Banshee, Polaris, Boom Boom, Forge, Tempo, Cannonball, Sunspot, Strong Guy, Marrow, and Armor. And Phil, I am also up for this. What is your uh, mutant name? Oh, my mutant? That's your slave name. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) My my mutant name, of course, famously is uh, uh, Big Boy Phil. Uh, That's what I've been kind of been going as for a while at my time at the Xavier Institute. Uh, Obviously, my my superpower is projecting really uh, just being – I project my handsomeness onto others. So when I'm around, other people will also become more handsome around me. Uh, it's really you can useful. come up with a better name than Big Boy for that power set. Oh no, the, it's just like you know, I'm a big boy. You don't name yourself, yeah. Not the Xavier Institute. It's a common mistake people make. You, other mutants wouldn't know that. Yeah, that's just what they call me. You know, I'm Big Boy Phil. Wow. So yeah, vote for me if you uh, you know uh, you want your characters to be a little more handsome. Well. uh it appears as though <laughs> the fans of the X-Men, at least we think they're the fans of the X-Men, have chosen Polaris. P- Polaris. She is leading the vote um, as of a couple of days ago. Polaris is up 22.2%, uh, with Banshee up next at 146 Sunspot, 12.5, Forge, 8.7, Armor, 8.6, Boom Boom, 7.8, Tempo, 7.5, Marrow, 6.9, Cannonball, 5.6, and Strong Guy, 5.1. My question to you guys is, one, what do you think about this crop of characters? And two, who did you vote for? Wasn't Polaris already on a team? She's on X-Factor. But that's not a team. That's uh, the book, right there. Those aren't the X Men per se, right? That's the whole point. Right. Of this. Well, yeah. X Factor mm. is a team in the sense that they're you know they're work- those characters are working together. Yeah. yeah, but they're not the X Men, right? Right. I um, feel like I feel like the deck is stacked in her favor a little bit. Why? She's the coolest character out of all those people. Really, I think that she's, she's the most sure boring is. choice. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the thing, right? Is like, so of to answer your question about the list, I think it's a pretty good list. Like, there's some there's some good names, and there's also some real obscure characters on here. Um, I, I feel like she is 
like so like she's Magneto's daughter. She's super strong. Like of course, I don't know. I would rather it be one of the like like who the fuck is strong guy? That's I don't even I know him. For, baby. <laughs> like I don't even know who that is. <laughs> he's from New Mutants. He's fucking cool. Guido Carousel, <laughs> baby. I don't remember him at all. <laughs> he's a strong guy. What do you want? <laughs> it's like okay, he fucking rules. Um. Well, I I voted for Boom Boom specifically because she was an X Men Evolution. That is why. I voted for Boom Boom because I like her name. That's that's fair. <laughs> One of like Boom. the five she's had. <laughs> Boom Boom's pretty cool. Um, I, I I like this list. I think there's quite a few characters that um could fit quite nicely. I would love to see Armor win this vote just because she's one of the X characters that you know feels like a DC character in the sense that she's grown up. Hmm. Um, oh, alongside, hmm. you know, as an ex person, we've watched her actually, you know, become a teenager. I think she's actually an adult now, um, or at least like 18 or somewhere in that realm. Um, and it's been, go ahead, Kale. Do you remember when her first appearance was? Was that the Josh Whedon, Josh Wait, Whedon run? I believe so. Astonishing. So some people probably would have grown up with her as much as. Uh, I did. Astonishing yeah. X-Men number four, 2004. Yeah. I think that is Joss Whedon. Yeah, yeah it absolutely yeah. is. I, so, I yeah, definitely, that. yeah, that was the first time that I ever read X-Men, um, like, as it was releasing. Yeah, And same. she was the, the kind of, I guess, POV character. So, mm. um, yeah. And, uh, but, but, but that aside, I actually voted for Polaris. I voted for Polaris because I think that Polaris really doesn't get the attention that she should. I think she's an awesome character. I think that there's a lot of potentially interesting interplay with her being on the X-Men, uh, which is something that Magneto might not be cool with or want, and that could that could um, develop into some interesting stories. We actually don't know who the rest of the X-Men are going to be, so it's really impossible to make a vote based on team synergy or interesting character dynamics. So I think in terms of raw storytelling potential, uh, for me, Polaris is the person. Uh, I almost Here. voted for Banshee, though. I like him a lot. Oh, why? Banshee rules. Useless. Oh, my God. My my second thought was Forge because I feel like the, the team comp question i was like trying to think of like who's somebody who could be useful on like any team and like he has such a unique power set that is useful in a lot of like practical ways that other powers just aren't right like he could be you know he could like interface with like a ship if they needed to do something right like there's so there's so many ways you can kind of use what he can do to like you know he's a good swiss army uh, army knife character um, not good in a fight though that's true <laughs> Here's one thing we can all agree on. At least Marco's not here, so we don't have to listen to a 40-minute spiel about iBoy. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Agreed. he can see every angle. Come on. <laughs> well, I mean, so, yeah, I guess we. the only thing we know is it's one of these characters and then Gene and Scott, right? Uh, yeah. And... What's kind of interesting about this, and I guess I guess I should just turn turn it over to Leah Williams because she's actually the writer of uh, X Factor, and she popped up to say some things about the fact that Polaris is is clearly going to win. Um, she has some feelings, and so 
her her thoughts illuminate what exactly is going on as far as this vote is concerned and some of her concerns. So on Twitter, she said, if you didn't know that Polaris is already on an X team, now you do. Hashtag X-Men vote. Um, Normie's voting for Polaris in this owe me money. Y'all are going to have to sue me to give up custody. X-Men fans slash comic readers, proceed, sweetie. You're doing great. Hashtag steal the vote. (laughs) She also (laughs) said, I offered her up because I could see how it would be a good opportunity for her to to shine. She would have to leave my team, yes, which is not my first choice at all, but fair is fair. This is about what X-readers want, and she can still cameo in my book. She said, her fieldwork investigation plans as an X-Factor member would be on hold, but not her self-actualization or character work. I can continue to collaborate with X-Men on that front, and I'd be happy to. I just love her, and I'm selfish. She'd kick ass on an X-Men title right now. Uh, When asked if this was a real vote, she said, 100% real. Every option on the X-Men vote came as an X-Writer group decision slash discussion, and each candidate means a writer is going to have to get, switch up some plans no matter what. It's all genuinely going to be tailored to whoever wins, which is a creative choice the X writers made. Flat scans who don't read comics ruining the vote is a bad thing because the race was actually going to be close and each candidate had a real shot to win. But there is no bad outcome for whoever wins the vote. It's a great, completely tailored spotlight for them no matter what. Uh... Then she had, she had a lot to say. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I'll, I'll read. <laughs> Seems like She's she has chatty. a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> She's chatty. I'll, I'll read one one last uh, comment. Uh, Gifted stands got brainworms, man. Using their one Swiss cheese remaining brain cell just to roll into my mentions and taunt me or gloat about Lorna being taken out of X Factor. Do they even know anything that is happening at any given time, or is it always Stan Disorder hours? Damn, what the hell? Bro, she's throwing the shade. I just think it's so funny that she's like, uh, that she's like this, like, ratcheted up about it, because it's like, she, at first I was like, oh yeah, that would suck, like, if you have this character who's like a real major player in your book, and then all of a sudden, like, they're gonna get plucked away, but it's like, you offered it! If you didn't want her to leave, why'd you pick somebody else? (laughs) I have a strange feeling that they actually want her to win. That, like, she's uh, trolling. Yeah, I I could see that. Like, she's just, like, uh, getting in the mud to, like, you know, like, play along with the bit and, like, yeah, have fun with it. She's stirring shit. But, yeah, but it's also, uh, you know, it's like, it's like she said, like, they have. They can do something with all of these characters, so sure. and they they all work so closely together. They'll probably consult each other with whoever wins, or, or about whoever wins, or console you know? so, each other. Fair. <laughs> My point being, she'll probably have a hand in you know the the character's trajectory sure. anyway. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So. To that about what would happen with the losers, uh, she actually did comment on that. She said, we don't know yet. We've just started talking about that for the first time now as we look at the reactions so far. Polaris, Armor, and Forge would just stick with the current books they are in. Uh, The last time I read New Mutants, Boom Boom was in that. So I don't know if that changed. Um, But uh, yeah, a lot of these other characters are kind of homeless. And... um, 
certainly, well, Sunspot is in, um, God, I, I feel like I saw him very recently. He was in, uh. No, he's in X-Men, yeah. Yeah, he was yeah, in, yeah, X-Men. in X-Men. But I guess he does not, he's not like, there's no home he, for the character, I guess. Yeah, he just was in, in that issue. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you guys think that, like, in the, you know, in in the reality where people are reading what we're doing every day, that people like in that reality had to vote on what Comic Pal does what on a like year to year basis. I love the idea so, that in an alternate universe, there's a comic about us doing a podcast oh, about comic books. It's not it's, an alternate universe. We're just like a pocket universe to a bigger universe. Well, what he's saying is like somewhere. On a on a voting sheet, it could have been Phil that went to New Zealand instead of Kale. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They oh. voted for Kale, who went to New Zealand. Interesting. That's weird. Yeah, Kale <laughs> just needs this so bad. I really need <laughs> yeah, this. We gotta shove him to an island somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I like the reality where we all move to an island and open up a cabana. I think that one sounds cool. Yeah, why didn't anyone vote for that? It's, uh, <laughs> The island reboot, come on. <laughs> if you guys haven't cast your vote yet and you want to, go to marvel.com slash X-Men vote. And you can join in on all the fun. Uh, troll Leah Williams if you want to. Or <laughs> Don't do it for you, bro. <laughs> yeah, she can take it, clearly. She'll fucking make oh, yeah. fun of you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's awesome. Uh, she's not afraid to mix it up. So, last week we talked about... What the hell was going on at Marvel as it relates to Heroes Reborn? Uh, They were teasing it. We saw all these different images that just didn't really make a whole lot of sense. And we talked about the potential of what if. um, You know, we talked about a lot of things. But now Marvel has answered us and we know exactly what's going to happen. And so Marvel blew off the, the, the doors by telling us that Heroes Reborn now will actually be a story that um, spins out of Avengers or takes place within it. Um, basically coming out of the, the, the storyline that's currently going on. So right now they're doing this big tournament to decide who will be the new um, Phoenix Force host. And... Uh, again, you know, Marvel and their tournaments. I was gonna now, say they're guess, doing right? two tournaments at the same time. <laughs> well, this tournament started after Ten of Swords, okay. but also it has legitimate fights. So, <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Uh, but uh, it's gonna see Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis teaming up, um, to tell a story in which the Phoenix Force destroys the Earth. And then brings it back with no Avengers. And so it's basically a what if there were no Avengers. Uh, The description says, welcome to a world where Tony Stark never built an Iron Man armor, where Thor is a hard drinking atheist who despises hammers, where Wakanda is dismissed as a myth, and where Captain America was never found in the ice because there were no Avengers to find him. Instead, this world has always been protected by Earth's mightiest heroes, the Squadron Supreme of America. Ooh, shit. And now, the Squadron face an attack from some of their fiercest enemies, like Dr. Juggernaut, the Black Skull, (laughs) 
the Silver Witch, and Thanos with his Infinity Rings. Oh, man. Blade is the one man alive who seems to remember that the entire world has somehow been reborn. And so begins his search for the cause behind this ominous shift in reality. That sounds like fun. I like stories like this kind of premise. Uh, that said, some of the opposites are so campy. I love it. Like Thor. Oh, I actually hate God. And I, you want to hate more than God? Hammers. He hates hammers. <laughs> MC, Who hates hammers? Get out of here. Uh, yeah, I, uh, this is fine. I really haven't, I'll be honest. I, I, I read Jason Aaron's, um, Avengers run for a while. I dropped off. Uh, it just wasn't for me. Um, and I'm not, I'm not super compelled by this. It is going to spin off. So it'll be its own thing. So if you haven't read Avengers, all you really need to know is that the Phoenix destroyed earth and re- rebirthed it. Um, it seems like a, a kind of weird way to get where they wanted to go, which was basically just to tell a what if story, but have at it. Yeah, I don't know, whatever. Like I, I'm open to it, right? If it's fun, it'll be fun. If not, it doesn't matter, right? I just know DC's doing right now. Like, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> That's. <laughs> Do we know if Steve Rogers hates shields here? Well, we don't know anything about him because he's in ice. He's frozen. So he yeah, no, he, he likes shields. He already has the shield. He's just still frozen. <laughs> the wild thing is, I don't know if you've seen the solicit for this. The it's twenty pages of Steve Rogers in an ice cube. <laughs> the Captain That's America tie-in. It's, it's just a cra- the same page. A wild, he's, bold choice. He's still in the tray. No one's taking him out to put him in their iced tea. Yeah, sounds better than Future State Wonder Woman. Hey. Yo, damn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is fine, I guess. If you if you're terribly interested, uh, it'll be out in May. Um, I'm I'm curious if if any of you you listeners are reading Jason Aaron's Avengers run. What do you think about it? I, I saw a little bit of conversation about it in the Discord server, but I would love to get some mail about whether or not you're enjoying his run. Um, it, it you know it's 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 I don't know it's interesting it's interesting it's it's kind of gone off the rails for me, but. Um, you know, if you're enjoying it, please do write in and, and tell us about it. So, at some point or another, if you think you want to read comics, you will be confronted with the question, where do I buy comic books? Just where do you go? How do you get them? Well, Keanu Reeves has the answer. Keanu Reeves is the co-creator of the book Berserker with no ease. Alongside Matt Kent and Ron Garney, this is a book coming out of Boom. Uh, you guys will probably remember the whole controversy surrounding their uh, Kickstarter that did gangbuster numbers and everybody was upset because they felt like it was sucking the air out of the room, which was absolutely false. But be that as it may. Uh, Keanu Reeves really, really wants you to buy and pre-order Berserker with no ease. And so, Boom put out a video on YouTube in which Keanu Reeves tells you where you can buy and pre-order Berserker. Uh, he tells you the website you need to go to, which is comicshoplocator.com. Um, he tells you that local comic shops exist. 
and <laughs> you know various things like that. I included this because I think I don't think that anything that Marvel or DC have done, maybe ever, is as significant a way of getting people in stores as this is. Just something yeah. as simple as getting a mega celebrity, like a legitimate A-list movie star, to say where you buy comics. And it's like you look at it, it's not like it's a it's a the video is one minute and fourteen seconds long, several of which is, you know, intro graphics. Yeah. And it's him it's him sitting up against a a black background. Like it's not anything high tech, but like it's extremely effective. You know, um, and we, we talked about this like front, back and sideways when the story was hot. Right. But like as much as um, I hear, you know, the argument for, you know, Kickstarter and all that stuff, like you can't deny that this is a huge opportunity to get people who would never touch a comic book in a comic book store, you know. Um, and, you know, I think <clears throat> most of us and, and most people who read comics can attest like it really only takes like one or two good experiences picking up a book or going to a shop to like get you in, you know. Um, and a, a star of Keanu's caliber, right? Especially right now, like, you know, he, he's, he's been more relevant than he has been in a while the last two years. Um, so like, I, I really do think this could, could be meaningful, you know, like this could put a lot of new, new butts in, you know, in a comic shop. Um, and maybe, maybe just for this book, but you know, I don't know, maybe some percentage of them pick up something else while they're there. My brain is so busted that all I can think about when it comes to Keanu Reeves now is how the cyberpunk developers had to ban having sex with him in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really appreciate your insight on the issue. Thank you, Phil. That's that's it. That's that's the topic. Right. Uh, so <laughs> Let's hear from a smart person. <laughs> yeah, Kale, what do you think? I met you, Sean, but that's okay. Oh, okay, sure? yeah. I'll take so anyways, um, <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, this is good. It's fine. <laughs> For a man with so many vowels in his name, why does he hate them so much? All right. <laughs> let's see. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> I think Berserker with ease was already taken by that, that other manga series. So, uh, you know. I wonder – I'm really interested to see what the actual order numbers are going to look like for stores. Forget Kickstarter. Mm. I'm curious how many people are going to show up for this in stores and pick it up um, because I think that any amount of people who do, especially with this kind of video coming out, um, a percentage of them will probably buy more than one comic. A percentage of them will come back. Um, and if, you know, even if it's only for the second issue, you know, that, that's a person who's becoming indoctrinated into the way of buying books and that can only be a positive thing. So I'm really excited to see how that develops. We may not even ever know or see the ramifications, um, through cold, hard data. Right. But shop owners talk, you, you know, and we very well may hear from them about how this book impacted their sales. 
something I could also see is, you know, I, I, the couple times that you guys uh, came to visit me when I lived in Jersey, we went to some of the shops that I used to frequent, and two of them specifically um, are stores that are predominantly comics, but then also have like a lot of collectibles and other shit too. And I wouldn't be surprised if somebody who shows up to pick up this book becomes a drive-by sale for, like, a statue or something, right? And, like, that could be, you know, a decent chunk in a comic shop's owner comic shop owner's pocket that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Sure. And also, for all the people who said that Keanu Reeves doesn't care about comics, I think we can also put that to bed. He would have done this if he didn't. I highly doubt that. He had to do this, right? Like, I, I don't think he was forced by boom to uh, put this video out. I think he wants his book to succeed. I think he likes comics. And, um, you know, I'm really, really pleased with this move. We said it at the time, too. It's like, I don't, I don't think anybody gets into comics to make money. You know, like you can Certainly make money Keanu in Reeves. comics. But yeah, right? Like, Keanu Reeves is a fucking millionaire. Like, he could. Go be in some schlocky, shitty B-movie and make a few million dollars if you wanted to, rather than make a comic that, you know, might not do anything. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys see the uh, the art that was attached to the uh, the article we have here? I did. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know how anyone else feels. I like Ron Garney. Uh, he, he did some Daredevil. He's done quite a bit of Daredevil, actually. And mm. I always thought he was very good. So, um... I think this book looks – I think it looks good. You it's know, we'll see when it's colored, but – Seeing it in black and white specifically, I think it's like the second page uh, in the Bleeding Cool article where it shows the main character like jumping out of a helicopter. It looks like uh, – he reminds me of Jesus from The Walking Dead because it's in the black and white and he's got like all the like padding and he's got these like military boots and everything. Like I don't know. Yeah, I don't Definitely know striking. who Jesus is, but you know. Oh, he's a dude with really long hair who wears combat boots and shit. It's pretty much... Boy, do I have good news for you, my friend. <laughs> That's exactly where I was hoping you'd go. Every now and then you gotta set Kale up for one. Not too many, though. Uh, no, not too many. Listen, I know how to take five loaves and five pieces of fish and distribute it to thousands. <laughs> Ooh, wait, that might be blasphemous. I don't know if I could say that. <laughs> Well, Dude. it's been said. Some Christian listening can't oh. just call himself Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. You guys think it's water in this cup. <laughs> oh, <no>. So, <laughs> recap pages in comics are, I guess, a relatively new thing um, within the, the scope of the history of comics existence. And they've they're they're nothing if not controversial, right? Uh, there are some people who love them, and there are some people who really, really do not. Uh, one of those who does not is Patrick Zerker, Zercher, uh, who we've talked about before, uh, and he basically took to Twitter to talk about the fact that. Uh, Comic books are lacking that really bombastic splash page start to the issue that a lot of older comics had. I mean, that was one of the things that comics did really well was making that first page something that, you know, if you were flipping through the book at the grocery store or the newsstand, 
you opened that first page, you were like, wow, I have to have this. And, um, you know, one of the images that uh, I saw, it's, it's in this, this Bleeding Cool article, is, I mean, it's an absolute classic. It's Wolverine um, uh, <laughs> hanging on the roof, the ceiling of a building as the the Hellfire Club goons are searching for him. This is during the, the, the Dark Phoenix saga. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a classic. This is, this is an incredible image. And I guess he's saying, you know, when you open a comic book and the first thing you see is like a long, you know, boring, I say that in quotations, uh, recap page it might turn you off. Fabian Nicesia, is that how you say his name? Uh, I always heard it was Nicesia. Am I crazy? Nicesia. I have never known how to pronounce his name. <laughs> Me neither. But hopefully between Phil and I, we got it. Hopefully. Uh, he said, there is no way old school, not cool splash page works better than recap pages have for the last 20 years. Who wouldn't want to open up a comic book to the exciting visual of a homework assignment? I wish I could be 10 years old now and thrill to the excitement of text. Where do you guys fall on that? Can I, I sorry, can I clarify that last thing real quick before he answered? That was Fabian was agreeing with Patrick's he, argument. He, right? Yeah, he's being facetious, but he is okay, agreeing. Okay, right, sorry, okay. <clears throat> um I, I don't frankly, I don't really see how there's any like debate. Honestly, I think this is so much clearly better. And it's one of the things that always strikes me the most when I when we go back to read old runs, is that like I think this is such a more effective way to present an inroad to a story mm. um because it's it's exciting right like the the uh the example that Sean brought up uh, that I've got in front of me on the bleeding cool article right like it's bold it's striking it feels like the like it's like like a like a like a movie poster or something you know or like the cover of a book you know and like obviously comics already have covers but like we all know that they're not always super related to what happens in the book. Um, so, like, seeing this, it immediately establishes where Wolverine is, that he's alone, that he is, that he's among enemies, that he's, you know, on some kind of secret mission. You can see that he's wet. And he probably snuck his way in out of the water. Like, the, I'm not even reading the fucking dialogue. I'm not reading the um, the captions. I'm just looking at what is immediately... I, what I can drink in from scanning the page rather than every modern comic where you open and it's generally, right, the same fucking image that they recycle every time. Maybe like the X-Books, they swap in some character heads or whatever so you know who the players are. And it's like two sentences, you know, and, it, and it's it's not visually striking. It's not engaging. It's not it's not something that I think draws you in if you're not uh, if you're a new reader. Um, and I don't think they're like super effective. Like they're fine if you're reading the book month to month and like you're you're it's very clear in your mind what happened most recently um and you just kind of need that like oh right here's where we are um but even that i think that would be so much better achieved by just giving us that little bit of caption on the first page of the story i think at this point if you've been listening to the show for a long time you should know how i feel about this um superhero comics nowadays are so often too wordy now, granted, there are writers that can straddle the line eloquently enough that it, it, it works. Certainly, 
you know, the wave of 80s and 90s British authors were able to write a lot of text and, and make it work well. But there's like a certain caveat when you go into certain books that you can accept a certain amount of wordiness. But, you know, you take a Bendis, you take a Scott Snyder, you take a Tom King, and it's just like, there's so much text. And most of the time, it's not, um, it's superfluous, frankly. And uh, you're just padding space for no reason, or you're taking away from looking at the art. And it's just, it's just, it, it, it bogs down the experience of reading, you know, what's only amounting to 20, 30 pages. So, you know, when you go into a book like that and there's all, and there's already going to be a wordy recap page on top of all that, it's just, it doesn't set you up for the right mindset going into a book like that is generally how I feel. I, 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 I'm not a big fan of recap uh, pages. Huh. I am actually kind of surprised about that. Um, I am very pro recap page. Um, it's, I mean, similar to, an intro on a you know a tv show if i'm picking something up i want to know what's come before you know uh and as far as like picking it up off the stand in the first page gripping you or whatever i mean i guess but like the first page can still do that turn the page i i think i think I do think the way has gotten lost. You know, there are a lot less pages in a book now that are actually material. You know, back in the 80s and 90s, it was up upwards of 30 pages. Now we're looking at 20 to 22. And, and uh, like as Phil said, it's somehow more wordy, even though... Uh, Marv Wolfman and Chris Claremont aren't writing and haven't been writing for years. So I, you know, I don't know. I, I think, you know, if, if, if the companies weren't so worried about making ads, they could just put the recap page on the inside of the cover. Like, I don't see why that would be a problem, but I don't know. I, I'm pro recap page. You're not going to convince me that's a bad thing. I'm trying to. You can't. Damn. I 100,000% I agree. I think that recap pages are borderline essential in superhero comics. I really don't even know how, how else you get a person to buy a book that is like number 37 and they are, they've never read any of the other ones. Um, I think that there are definitely two schools of thought. You can say, well, the dynamicism of a cover like the one we're referencing uh, with Wolverine can make that lack of knowledge not matter because of how penetrating this image is. And I certainly see that argument. But I think that one of the things that's different about, at least in my opinion, I can be wrong, about modern comic book readers is people seem to be very concerned with how much they don't know going into reading something. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if that was true before, but it doesn't seem like it. Because this issue that we're talking about, the, the X-Men book we're referencing, is like smack dab in the middle of a really long storyline. And yeah. obviously, no one cares, right? Um, it didn't, it didn't 
hurt the sales of this book too much that it just drops you in and you don't know what's going on. Uh, but I don't, I genuinely don't think that that same thing would be true today. Um, mm. I feel like readers today want to make sure that they have the knowledge they need to have to proceed with the issue. And maybe that is because they're more wordy and more intricate in that way. But, um, I, I don't think superhero comics could afford to go away from the recap page. I, I I think in general, culture is conditioning audiences to feel like they need to know everything that's happening, whether it's long-form television shows like Game of Thrones or even the Marvel mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like pop culture experience has made it seem like there is necessary prerequisite homework to get into things. Do you think that's because of the ease of access to information, though? Maybe. Like... Because I, I, I think this is an interesting point, Sean. I hadn't really considered this before, but like I, I do think that there, there's a cultural shift there for sure. Um, but I wonder if it's just because like you couldn't know otherwise, right? Like you don't have to read a comic book run to know what happens in it anymore. And that didn't mm-hmm. always used to be the case, right? Like unless you knew someone who read it and could tell you what happened, that's pretty much it, right? Um, and like access to back issues was, was not as easy to come by like pre comic book stores either. Right. Like comics came out and you bought them and you got them or you didn't, you know, and that was it. Um, so especially if you're a kid and you happen to go to the grocery store with your mom this time, but you don't go for another, I don't know, two months or whatever you missed the last issue. Right. That's it. You know? Um, so I, I think that does probably speak to it is I think like comic books are are less episodic in nature than they used to be. Yeah. Um, because even ongoing stories were more self-contained issue to issue. And like you see that in some of the older books that we've gone and, and done book clubs on, right? Where it's like, um, you know, one of the standout issues for me of Sandman was a singular self-contained story that didn't have anything to do with the rest of the narrative. And you wouldn't really see that in a in a superhero book as much these days. Not to say it doesn't happen. Um, but certainly, I think, less common. Um, so I think that's probably part of it, too. But, Phil, you raised the MCU thing, and I think that's interesting because think about how many people go and see... We talk about this all the time. People who don't see all the movies. Sure. And they might know the information because they have a friend or they watch a YouTube channel or they read a CBR article or whatever. So they're like, yeah, okay, I know who Captain Marvel is. I can go see Endgame. But you know what I mean? Like, it's interesting because I think it's more of a problem, but I wonder why. I, um, it's funny because uh, my coworker was talking about how uh, he and his girlfriend were watching the latest episode of WandaVision and they hadn't seen the latest avengers movie which kind of deals with stuff that happens in that episode we're not gonna get into it here obviously but, uh, check out the reviews that's, that's hilarious and they're just can you can you imagine <laughs> i'd be you'd be so fucking confused yeah so they're so certainly that person does exist that hasn't seen all the mcu stuff but like there are aspects of it that do kind of require uh a prerequisite knowledge of what happened in that cinematic universe are like, you laughing at I, something else, Sean? Or no, I, I, well, I think that's I hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't imagine. Kale said, can you imagine? And I can. Can you, <laughs> especially incredible. this episode, right, <laughs> with episode four, like the way that it opens, you just be like, what the fuck is happening? That was apparently her reaction. What is happening? Wild. Absolutely wild. <laughs> One thing, uh, back to the, the conversation at hand, in that issue that we've been referencing uh, on the the. Uh, the bleeding cool article uh, you know back back then they also wore their thoughts 
the characters wore yeah. their thoughts on their sleeve, especially as it related to the plot. At some point in the next page, Wolverine's going to go, I got to sneak into the Hellfire Club and not get caught or I'm going to die and I got to save yeah. all the X-Men because I'm Wolverine. I'm the best at what there is, bub. Right, That's right. an actual quote from one of the issues. I, yeah, I know. I've memorized it. <laughs> I also think Kale uh, brought up a really good point about television shows, which was just that this is this is something that television shows have done historically. I, I mean, I'm sure that there are plenty of shows that don't, but I personally can't really think of shows that didn't that I've seen that don't have a previously on. Plot-driven shows, anyway, yeah. right? Like you wouldn't yeah. say that on like a sitcom, yeah. but they're episodic, yeah. right? Because they don't yeah. have to. You know, even still, it's not unheard of on a sitcom, right? It's like usually, though, it's it's if it directly relates to a previous yeah. thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but which, yeah, that speaks to what you're talking about. But like Wandavision, right? Every Wandavision starts with a previously on Wandavision. Here's three scenes to contextualize oh, where we're at. Fucking hell! Apparently, they could have contextualized the whole ending to 20 <laughs> years worth of Marvel films. <laughs> oh, I always think Unreal. of the uh, X Men cartoon. Last time on X Men. Yeah. Previously on X Men. Yeah, I didn't even know it. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> my, my go to for that is always the fucking previously on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually, isn't it last time on Dragon yes. Ball Z? Fine. You're right. You're right. Oh, yeah. Last time. <laughs> the Ginyu Force. <laughs> I think that this is a. I think it's a debate worth having. I. I don't think that um, either answer is one hundred thousand percent correct. Mm. And I think, um, although I do believe that we've changed as people and we require more information than we ever did, I also think that there's a possibility because I. I go to Midtown and I see Midtown Comics and I see. People just standing there flipping through books. Now, they could just be that guy at Barnes & Noble who wants to sit there and read an entire book, which there are that guy at Midtown. Please stop that. Um, <laughs> but they could also just be that person opening it to say, gosh, I don't know anything about this. Should I buy it? Mm-hmm. And I think if it, you know, if every book had a splash page that was as compelling as the one we've referenced, um, <laughs> they'd sell. Right, like that's that's hot fire. So I think what I'd like to see is an evolution of of the the intro, right, and synthesize the better parts of both of these strategies, right. I don't know why you can't have, you know, um, a similar amount of catch up text on a page that's artistically interesting, you know, and, and rather than just like here's a cutout and it's two sentences, right. Previously on Marauders, we were at dinner. Now the dinner, like okay, maybe show me a a picture of everybody sitting at the table. And give you know, give me something to look at. Give me something that draws me in. Because what I like about these is that I feel like, uh, I feel like the device gets me into the story quicker. It makes me feel like I'm, um, I have a uh, an easier like inroad to jump in rather than like feeling like I'm getting kind of like thrown into the middle of the mix or whatever you know i don't know there's something about it that feels good to me i'm trying to remember in king of black uh the that event number one was there one on that king of black i haven't read that one man (laughs) 
fucking in black. <laughs> that took me a minute. I was like, why is Sean laughing? <laughs> uh, Venom's the king of black. I don't understand. <laughs> Am I wrong? Oh, so no, are, are there spoilers? Black. Phil, help me. Are there spoilers? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, the only difference is that ACDC is back in black. Okay, uh, got it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, my point being, I didn't know what the hell was going on in that book. Because I don't remember there being a recap page. Uh, there very well may not have been. I don't remember. Yeah. And 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 that's definitely worth mentioning like I think that both of these creators are kind of overstating the uh like overwhelming use of recap pages cuz they're definitely very very frequently used but I mm. wouldn't say that it's absolutely always the very first thing you see in a book and yeah. like for example uh we read uh X-Men 17 for review which you can actually now check out as a separate piece of content if you want to hear that you got to go listen to that um podcast episode or check it out on youtube um but you know without getting into too much detail it definitely doesn't start with a recap page and i'm sure this has something to do with the fact that hickman was trying to channel the 90s but even the recap page itself has basically no words on it it's a joke at all it was like yeah you fucking get it let's go right (laughs) um so yeah, you know. Uh, but anyway, let's move forward to something that is less controversial than the recap page. Let's talk about the fact that Zack Snyder's Justice League now has a release date. Oh, I'm glad no. we've moved away from controversy for a few seconds. Absolutely. I'm uh, glad I can see the end point of my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice to have a light, a darkness at the end of the tunnel, right, Kel? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's what I've always wanted, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we now know that officially we will get Zack Snyder's Justice League on March 18th. It will drop on HBO Max at that point. Uh, there are posters that were dropped as well. Uh, I think there were three different posters that yeah. uh, that were released, which drew the ire of many fans. We People also about didn't talk about this, but uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League will be a four-hour uh, movie experience, <laughs> not as splintered episodes as had previously been discussed. So, what say you? Darkness at the end of the tunnel, oh, indeed! <laughs> I have I have mixed feelings about it because when I first saw the news of that it's like it's a four hour thing, I was like, oh Christ, I have to sit for four fucking hours and watch this. But then I also thought about the fact that because it's not split up, it'll be one really long excruciating experience, and then it'll be over, and I won't have to do it again. <laughs> so it's peaks and valleys, you know. This shit it would have been sucks. a month of our lives otherwise, where we would have had to watch it for an hour every week. Which- Four hours? It is a month of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> when you sleep as much as you do, I guess. Doctor- After 2020, you're telling me that four hours isn't going to be a whole month? Oh my god, yeah, you're right. Doctor- the time dilation has become a real problem. Dr. Manhattan meme. Three hours in, I'm still watching Justice League. <laughs> Six hours in, I'm still somehow watching Justice League. <laughs> It's 2016. I'm watching Justice League. 
Oh my god, we got to make that meme yesterday. Let's go. <laughs> Cut print. This That's is brilliant. You know, we've been talking about sitcoms the last couple of weeks. This is longer than a tour on Gilligan's Island. <laughs> <laughs> There are less children in the Brady Bunch than this film is long. <laughs> oh yeah, that works somehow. Christ, I just like I I'm trying to think about it because it's like what's the like the longest movie you've ever watched? Right for me, it's like it's one of the dire- it's the director's cuts of the Lord of the Rings movies that are like over three hours, and every time I'm like, it's long. You know, I love love the movies. It's long. This I I don't think I'm gonna enjoy it. And the imagine the fact that I have to sit through it for four fucking hours is just like, oh my god! <laughs> There's I feel like this is my like my twelfth trial of Hercules. Yeah, seriously. There's movies that are long that don't feel long. Uh, that's a hard feat to achieve, but this is going to be an experience where not only is it long, it's going to feel long. You're going to be checking your watch and stuff and. And this is just the most self-indulgent shit of all time. My man wasn't able to finish his movie, so he said to all the executives at Warner Brothers, I'm not only going to finish it, I'm going to savor it. How long was The Irishman? That was like three and a half hours. Okay, so this is somehow longer than The Irishman. (laughs) And that was a movie people had to split up to watch. Do you guys think Zack Snyder's going to let us go to the bathroom the way Kevin Feige wouldn't? No. No. How funny would it be though if there was like a uh, like a twenty minute intermission, like you know, like, like baked into it? You know what? <laughs> to be honest, that would be the thing that makes me a Zack Snyder fan. <laughs> like, who I cares? Mean, with the existence of a pause button, I yeah. really don't feel like it's uh, necessary. Didn't they do that on? Uh... I feel like they did that on Hamilton on Disney Plus. I think there's an intermission well, in it's it. It's a musical. Musicals are yeah, sure, built sure. in with music. Yeah, but like you could edit that out. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's fucked up. But I know. I know. We talked about it on the Discord that we're gonna do a watch along. So I think that'll make it a lot better because we did a watch along of Dragon Ball Evolution, which is a horrible fucking movie, and I had fun watching that. Yeah. So there's like camp value to watching something that's that bad. Like, Zack Snyder movies don't have that kind of camp value. But you yeah. just just think about the experience that you and I had with Justice League, Phil, where we got a little drunk and we just, you know, it's just like, this is dumb. Yeah, Let's just. But that was also with Joss Whedon shit spliced in. Yeah. There's a camp value to that original cut. It's true. And like the whiplash of the two tones yeah. of the movie, like we just we we went from like rolling our eyes at it to by the end we were like laughing and legitimately having a good time, but not because it was a good movie. This is gonna, <laughs> this is gonna sound weird to say, but like Zack Snyder is a legitimate director. He knows how to like make a movie. The problem is that all his movies are bad, but like he has <laughs> the technical skills to know how to make a motion picture. So, like, when his movies are bad, they're not campy bad because they don't come from a place of, like, not knowing how to do it, you know? Or, like, not having enough resources or any of that kind of stuff that, like, yeah, can lead to, like, a charming, shitty movie. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm hyped. No! Get out of here! I know you are, buddy. I'm excited for your sake. (laughs) I can't wait. And do I think it's going to be good? No. But... That doesn't matter. That's not the point. That's not what it's about. <laughs> nope. Sean became the Joker, you know? He just wants to watch the world burn. 
I feel like I, I wish I could become the Joker, man. I'm tired of this. I just want to lose it. I'm so, I'm tired of pretending that it is bad. <laughs> oh have you, guys, have you guys looked at this third poster? No. Yes. Oh yeah, you said people were mad about the posters. Mm-hmm. Why? This this third one is. Stupid. <laughs> are, are you referencing the one with the film reel in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a broken film reel with the Justice League emblem and film spilling out of it, and it's all gray and muted. You know and what? The, uh, Except it says Snyder in red. Yeah, and the uh, the caption is reborn. You know what? I I really appreciate that he's just he's just being himself. You know, you oh should have realized that from the word go. He put the fucking Hallelujah song in his trailer. Like, Bro. he's just being Zack Snyder. I hate it. I hate it here. So I'm looking at the tweet for this, the, the specifically the image that Kale uh, was talking about, and the top reply is from Subway. <laughs> it says, can we get an update on the doubters? LOL, hashtag Snyder cut. And then Zack Snyder's Justice League, the official Twitter account, replied, hashtag release the Snyder cold cut. I hate this fucking planet, and I don't want to live here anymore. <laughs> Guys, we ha- we all have to go to Subway while we watch this film. You know that, right? Th- that's the only way we can make this experience worse, is if you make me eat a Subway sandwich on top of it. <laughs> More like man of meatball, sub. I, uh, I, don't, I don't care about these posters. I think that... Um, Whatever. They're posters. Yeah. The the one with the film reel spilling out really really f- frustrated people. <laughs> and at this point, I, like I'm not I'm not a troll or anything, but I just I just laugh. <laughs> I don't I don't understand how people have the emotional energy <laughs> to care about this in society to get actually mad about. Yeah. Anything like this. I totally agree. Like, it's like, who you gotta be a, kidding me. It's not even the movie. It's the poster. Like, you're mad about a poster? I, yeah. I've never had an emotional reaction to a poster that was bad. I've seen a poster and been like, oh, that was, that's sick. I'd put that on a wall. That's about the most emotion a poster should or, get from yeah. you. Or, hmm, that's dumb. Yeah. yeah. Time to move on with my life. Yeah, yeah it, <laughs> it could suck. Like, I'm not, I'm like certainly not posters. saying these are good posters, but... <laughs> I don't care. Like, it's not the content, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the funniest thing, did the, the captions, too. Like, he's so fucking dramatic. All of these are, like, they're all in black and white. And the first one is the Justice League logo, and it's, like, on the ground, and it's all crumbled, and it says, Fallen. And then there's a Justice League flag, like, you know, ripped. It looks like the e- like the Iwo Jima flag, but nobody pushing it up, and it says "Risen." Oh. And then the last one is "Reborn." Like, shut up, Zach. The flag is, uh, as Dan Jurgens pointed out on my timeline, apparently a reference to uh, the death of Superman. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's what the Justice League film is about. That's right. Actually, true. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh March eighteenth. Great. March 18th. The day after St. Patrick's Day? Great. Everyone will be hungover. Some might say Doomsday. Zack Snyder I mean, is. Joyful day, because I'll be dead. <laughs> Damn. Hallelujah. Dead. Dead. Hallelujah. Dead Hallelujah. You don't care for music much, do you? 
And that's the end of that segment. Uh-huh. So, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit more about DC, but this time in the comic space. Let's talk about Brian Michael Bendis. Oh, God, this episode. Gotta get those meme stocks on the rise, baby! <laughs> I thought you were gonna do what you do sometimes where you're like, let's talk about DC, but this time in a better way. And I was going, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Now, <clears throat> those of you who are DC readers may remember when the big announcement was made within the book's as an ad, and it simply it, it had an image of, of Superman, and it said Bendis is coming, which uh, <laughs> was aping uh, when Jack Kirby went over to uh, uh, DC. I believe that's what it was. What that's what they were going. What for. the disrespect? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did not know about that. <laughs> which Kirby? Yeah. Jack <laughs> Superstar. Oh, uh, the old comic book writer. No, the little pink guy. Oh, the little pink guy. Oh, the one mm-hmm. from the video game companies. What, what, what's that one called? It's bits falling flat. Go ahead, Sean. <laughs> so this, of course, took place in 2018. Brian Michael Bendis left Marvel, went over to DC, signed an exclusive contract, uh, wrote a lot of Superman, and uh, did some other things, too. And now he is no longer exclusive to DC. If you've been listening to me speak for the last, eh, I don't know, four or five months, maybe, uh, you know that this is not a surprise. First of all, DC has been cutting back on the exclusive contracts that they've been offering. The big money contracts that DC was known for are over with. Uh, They're not doing them anymore. And even someone like Bendis, who you would think, well, he's Teflon, right? Like, he's immune to... Uh, this type of change, not so much. Bendis' books have not necessarily lit the world on fire over at DC. And I guess they looked at the return versus what they were paying, and they said, this is not justifiable anymore. Um, Bendis did two Superman books. He did one, uh, the Wonder Comics uh, pop-up imprint that, that DC was like obsessed with doing for a couple years there. Um, he did the event uh, event Leviathan, which was underwhelming to say the absolute least. <laughs> That's being polite. Uh, he did the Batman Universe books for Walmart, which people actually liked quite a bit. And uh, now he will be doing Justice League. Mm. But his Superman run was cut short. It was not as long as it was initially uh, supposed to be. And it looks like Bendis is, is going to be free to do whatever else he feels like doing at this point. So I guess I'm not going to ask you if this surprises you because it, it, there's no reason why it should at this point. But what do you think is going to come next for Bendis? And what do you think this foreshadows for DC? This is this is the guy. You know, look at how they introduced him. They introduced him like Kirby. And he's not exclusive two, uh, three years later. You know, what do you think? I think this is natural. <clears throat> like, I think you, you've you been, you know, kind of, I think, uh, reading the tea leaves for a while here on what's been going on at DC. And, you know, uh, Rich Johnson in, in the Bleeding Cool article here, like, calls out the idea of kind of like, is Bendis worth the money anymore? 
And I think in 2018, when he was coming to DC for the first time, and you can do this page, and you can say, oh my god, for the first time in how long, Bendis isn't at Marvel, and he's writing Superman. That gets headlines. That was a big deal. That was a huge story. Three years later, is that return still worth it? Probably not. It's probably not worth what it was then. And I think it is safe to say that Bendis is is uh, an artist in decline, you know? Um, and I don't even really mean that as, like, to shade him. It's just, like... His peak has come and gone, and, you know, I think that – can he still write books that will sell? Absolutely, yeah, and and he probably will continue to do that. But I don't I don't know that he is, like, a marquee get in 2021 as much as he was in 2018, right, when that was a fresh idea. And I, I – he could go back to Marvel, I guess. I don't know that that would make sense. I, if anything, I think he'll probably – you know, go into the creator-owned space. I could see him starting to do more, like, consulting and just, like, you know, kind of, like, slowing down his output a little bit um, because, you know, um, he could easily go get a deal for a creator-owned title at an image or, or a, you know, whoever. Um, and I, I could see that being, you know, his trajectory from here on out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I... It's it's so weird. It really is. Like when I got into comics, there really wasn't anyone bigger than Bendis. Like no. he was the guy. No. And yeah. um when I got in, like that was his prime, you know? Um yeah. and I have a, a, a and I've I've never made it to see I have a deep affection for Bendis as a creator. Um he wrote the books that I read when I first discovered comics. Like mm-hmm. Yep, New Avengers, Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men. Like I cut my teeth on those books, um, and they were a big part of my life. So for it to be now here, fifteen years later or whatever, and everybody always talks badly about him, and you know he's no longer exclusive to any one particular comic book company. It really is weird. I've never seen this before. Not really. Um, you know, I guess in a way with Whedon, but with Whedon, it's more his character rather than his the quality of his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas with Bendis, he seems like a perfectly good guy. Never really heard a bad word about him, but his books just aren't selling like they used to. And so I personally would really love to see him um, step away from superhero comics. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how much more he has to say. You know, Bendis is probably one of the most prolific creators in terms of output. Uh, at Marvel, he was writing, like, everything. I feel like he yeah. – other than the Fantastic Four, right, which he wasn't allowed to write, he wrote everything. He certainly had a high-fiber so, diet. Sorry? He certainly had a high-fiber <laughs> diet. Lots sure. of output. Wow. <laughs> right. Uh, so I don't know what, 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 what is there. What else is there? I, I think I think that's kind of the thing, right? Is I I think it's kind of natural for any any creator of that status, right? Like your time in the sun only lasts so long. Um and fifteen years ain't a bad run. You know, I think the guy has clearly cemented his place in comic book history um several times over, honestly. Um and you, you do see this, right? Like there are plenty of creators who we look at who at one point, they were the guy, and maybe they still are doing work now, but they're just not relevant in the way they used to be anymore, you know? 
um, it happens. It happens in pretty much every medium, right? Like the new generation comes up and the old generation loses steam. And some guys keep it up, you know, some and not guys, some creators keep it up and, you know, um, continue to evolve and, and do new things and try new things. And, um, and, and that works for them, but not everybody does. And I think especially when you have somebody who is on the star power of Bendis, where like he's been writing so many books at the same time for so long, I'm not surprised to see the fall off because the books that you're talking about, right, at his peak, he was hungry. You know, he was breaking in. He was young. He was getting to try new things and do new things and like, you know, get opportunities that where he needed to prove himself. And now he doesn't, you know, he left Marvel and was able to just like be like, oh, I want to work on Superman. And it was handed to him, you know, like that. That also is a thing that I think a lot of uh, people don't think about in the conversation of when a creator kind of loses it is that. You know, sometimes the best work that you do is is defined by a period of being hungry and wanting to prove yourself and having something to say. And mm. when you've been at the top of the field for 20 years and you're comfortable and you can kind of rest on your laurels, you don't have to try as hard. And a lot of people don't. Well, and to that point, like, think about, like, even, like, him bringing comic books into the news like the scroll invasion was news you know back when secret invasion happened the death of ultimate spider-man was in the fucking new york times you know <laughs> you know it, miles morales he he got you know raked over the coals by fucking glenn beck and now at dc his most newsworthy thing is oh yeah clark Kent is superman sure you know yeah. it's just that, like he's doing a thing he he did the thing that every creator does, and then it gets taken back, you know. I it's it, it it is so frustrating that that's what he had to say. He wanted to come in and reveal Clark's identity, and you know, that's it. I I I don't know if I'm in the minority or not. I, I haven't really um paid much attention, but I actually enjoyed. Uh, at least the earlier portions of his Superman run, the build-up to Event Leviathan, I, I genuinely thought was good. The Leviathan mm. special, I like um, that. Yeah, was was quality, and um, I, I I definitely see what you what you mean, Kale. Um, I I don't think that's the only thing he had to say, but that is the biggest contribution that he made as far as yeah. like the big headline of his of his run. Yeah, and yeah. I wonder how much of that has to do with the whether or not that was really his full intention or that's a combination of the fact that his run was cut short and the fact that um, DC is in a weird spot and he may not have been able to do some of the things that he might have wanted. We'll never know because his run didn't get to uh, to end the way he wanted it to. But have to go check it out in Hicksville. Hmm. <laughs> I like that. Go listen to that book club. Um this does kind of stir in me a question um, because here now we really – it feels like a lot of the old guard and it's weird to even call them that at this point because for the four of us, certainly these are the creators that we grew up with. Uh, they're right. kind of like falling away. Grant Morrison is is not doing superhero books like that. Um, you know, There's the Green Lantern book but – 
other than that, Grant really hasn't – he's not focused on comics. As, I'm sorry. They are not focused on comics as much. Uh, Grant's really been doing, like, TV stuff and, you know, different things like that. So that's that's Grant. And then Jeff Johns still does superhero work, but uh, his production level has slowed way down. He's more focused on, you know, doing movies and scripts and things like that and uh, behind-the-scenes stuff and – Obviously, he's been in the news for some really negative things as well. Sure. Um, you know, like even guys like Brian K. Vaughn and Ed Brubaker, they're they're certainly still finding lots of success, but they're not driving the medium the way that no. they were. Um, and I don't know if anyone is. It's kind of weird. I I think I think you are seeing like a, an evolution and a decentralization, you know. But like, I also feel like that's something that is is again kind of natural. Right, because you think about like um, some of the creators that we didn't grow up on, but that we grew up on and thought of as like revered, right? Like someone like Alan Moore. Alan Moore was not significant or driving the industry anymore when I got into comics. Right, he was a legacy creator at that point. And now, you know, like you said, right, you started reading comics actively 15 years ago. Like those people that we grew up on, that's where they're, a lot of them are going to be transitioning into. And I think you see some of the people who kind of came up a little bit later in that same period, like maybe somebody like a Robert Kirkman, right? Like he's kind of in that space now, right? And and it's more people like who were kind of at the tail end of that that are now kind of more representing the, you know, front facing not quite yet the old guard as you have younger creators coming up and making new names for themselves and in a couple of years they'll be those people you know hmm. it's interesting I, I think i think when i look at when i look at the creators who are on top now or on the bubble the only ones that stick out as like okay this is you know this is the guy or these are the people um, I see Donny Cates. Sure, yeah. Uh, he is just on fire, right? Like, his books are huge. And has been for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, boy, uh, like, uh, to be honest, I mean, Jonathan Hickman, you have to give him that respect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because what he's doing with the X-Men now is absolutely revolutionary, and it's driving that group. Um, but but I think there's such a huge drop-off. After you yeah. say the name Donnie Cates, I, like my first thought was Vita Ayala. Uh, after I said Cates, but even hmm. even Vita is not like the, the, it's just not the same. It's not it's not the same, and I wonder yeah. if we will get back to that point. DC's not DC's not giving writers the the, the ball anymore the way they used to, and Marvel doesn't seem to trust. Anybody whose name is not Hickman or Aaron mm. or Spencer, I guess. So I don't know. I think I think um, and maybe this is a weird analogy, especially coming from me. But I, I feel like it's like almost akin to like a sports franchise where like you'll have eras of like this was a great team and they played together well. And then you have kind of those building years where it's like. You're maybe relying on a, a star that is fading and you're looking for rookies. You're looking for young talent that you can sign and cultivate. And I wonder if we're in a period like that right now. I think with DC, we talked about this when when you brought up the uh, 
what it means for them to be cutting the salaries and stuff and how that's going to lead to a big talent drain and a lot of those you know we talked like what two years ago where they had that like fucking s tier list of creators that were all writing the justice league characters right and it was like some of the biggest names in the industry um i think i think what you might see is they do start affording more creative freedom because they can't offer better rates um, and you might see like a, a new generation of, of creators come up there and have a similar kind of genesis. But I think the problem is, you know, because when you say like, who are the creators that are driving the industry? Like, who are the people that are really the names? Like, um, I think more and more, a lot of those people are just not at Marvel or DC. You know, I think a lot of the like, you know, a lot of those creators that are at that talent level or at that kind of mid-level, I think more and more of them are like cutting their teeth on Marvel and DC books. And then when they have a little notoriety going and doing an indie book and hoping that it it gets over, you know? Um, I mean, that's what people like Fraction and Brubaker and uh, uh, Remender right yeah as well like they could be driving the ship at those places but why like they're off doing their own thing for the most part you know and like you see them do right like fraction um does work for dc and stuff like that but like why lock yourself down to an exclusive contract you know like he can make more money frankly doing his own stuff and like he owns um was it milk fed productions with kelly sue and like it's way more lucrative and probably way more creatively fulfilling to work on your own ip that you can then try to make into a tv show or a movie or whatever and become a fucking millionaire yeah there's two different conversations happening here certainly from a prolific creativity standpoint you know there's it's boundless in the industry right now there are so many creators in general who are creating just very imaginative and and thought-provoking and interesting books across the board that i think is kind of irrefutable however the other aspect of this conversation that i'm kind of dwelling on i think sean was talking about is kind of the star power aspect which is yes. not the same and i think a more analogous example is not really professional sports because i think frankly in the history of comic books there have been 50 plus years of just mega stars coming like every decade of comics. This is the first mm-hmm. like kind of period where I, I can remember where it feels kind of like there's a void of that. This is more analogous to, I think the WWE situation. Yes. Where, you know, maybe, maybe you're right, Pete, when you're saying that different creators are creating books as, as kind of IP licenses to create movies, which is kind of a thing with WWE where it seems like big name people who are on the verge of stardom, it's a launching pad to be in films or TV shows, right? Uh, you know, with that particular, like, entertainment industry, you know, they are constantly bringing back old names from 20, 30 years ago uh, as a means of drawing power to bring in viewers, which I think is something you don't, which is something I think you kind of see of comic books, too. You, know, you keep bringing back a Grant Morrison to write your Green Lantern or whatever, but that's a name that was at his peak you know their peak sorry their peak you know 15 years ago 30 years ago whatever uh you have workhorses that are doing great stuff for marvel and dc but they're nowhere near the star power that those two companies were you know headlining as even as recent as 10 years ago yeah do you think that that's because comics are more decentralized like, because I think in a lot of the eras that we're talking about, like Marvel and DC were also more dominant. Um, not to say that they're not dominant, right? They still drive the industry. They still have the most sales. But like, you know, um, prior to like 2015, for example, right? Like, or I guess more like 2014, 
um, where there was kind of that rebirth at Image, and you did see that that generation of of books like Saga and Monstrous, and a lot of those titles uh, kind of come out and kind of um, cement the the rebirth of Image as like a really relevant force, and like you do see, you know. Um, other publishers again smaller publishers but people like boom that have major hits like the boys or like lumberjanes or you know um you know take your pick right like that there, there are books like that that are some of the most talked about books of the year that are eisner award winners that are getting optioned for television and movie and all this stuff and those are existing outside of the traditional framework and like back in the 80s Right, like you didn't have the option to go to any of those publishers because they didn't exist. You know what? Um, I don't think it's a decentralization problem because, frankly, in the '90s, those image guys were rock stars, and that was a third force. And as much uh, critical acclaim and buzz the saga has, I don't think it's ever reached just the volume of sales that those '90s image books had. That's and that's really the root of the problem, I think. I that think- that's interesting though, because the part of the '90s sales was not was artificial inflation. Sure, by but they collecting. were huge. Like even if people didn't read or care about the books, it was it was bigger than that. You know? Yeah, that's and fair. it's the same thing with wrestling. Where in the '90s, the work rate of the wrestlers and the quality of the work was secondary to the, what the appeal was. It was a lot of it was superficial. A lot of it was just you know surface level. But nowadays, you know. You, a whole giant rival company came up to rival WWE that was built in the back of people who were incredible workers on the indies. Uh, so, you know, maybe Saga or any of these other image books are, you know, uh, critically significantly better than anything that was published in the nineties. And that's probably a controversial statement, but the, just the sheer, you know, publicity isn't the same. Not for Saga, but it is for like The Walking Dead. Yes, I think that's like the only exception. Something like The Walking Dead, but like as a- I mean, look at the boys. The boys is a huge thing right now. But people don't read the books; they read, they watch the show. No, that's not true. Don't you remember we talked about that story where after the boys was a hit on Amazon, it the sales of the fucking uh, the volume collections were like through the fucking roof. That's fair. The problem <laughs> is that you're talking about a, you're ta- you're referencing books that. Their, their popularity comes from another medium. Phil's talking about True. the popularity of these books inherently. Like when when Rob Liefeld dropped um, – I can't even think of, of, of one of his books. But like when that – when it dropped, I recently read him say like he sold two million copies. Like That doesn't happen now. Marvel e- talking even about if, selling one million copies is a giant story. Right. right. Even if you said half of those sales were, were phony or false or whatever, that's still a million copies. Like, that's insane. Yeah. Even if he sold half of a million copies, that would still be a, a massive achievement today. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think – Go ahead, so, Sorry. I think one thing sort of – it's sort of the inverse of what Phil is saying with uh, companies bringing in old creators and, and – you know, trying to make IP out of their stuff is also like, you know, with DC lowering the rates for, you know, their their creators and Marvel sort of in a, I don't know, not necessarily in a scramble, but there's no one sort of rising to the top. I also sort of feel like maybe, you know, the the two companies, the suits at the two companies 
are looking for stories that will stand out for IP in the way that those old stories that have already come and, you know, stood the test of time, but they're not giving it its chance. Sure. If that makes sense, you know? Yeah, no, it does. Um, well, and it actually, it kind of ties back to the Bendis story in an interesting way. One of the things that was pointed out in the Bleeding Cool article is that, like, some of Bendis' biggest achievements near the end of his career at Marvel are things that he wasn't, that weren't celebrated until after he was gone, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, to take it back to, I guess, even something I, I brought up before, right? The examples of, like, The Walking Dead or, or, or The Boys or whatever, um, those were retroactive success. Not, not totally, but. You know what I mean? Like, the boys Miles was, was kind absolutely. of like that, too. The, the boys, boys was, was for absolutely. sure. Yeah. yeah. The Walking Dead was popular before it was a TV show for comics. Um, but, but yeah, like, looking at, like, Miles Morales, right? Like, Miles Morales' uh, major cultural relevance came years after his creation. Um, yeah. So I, so, I think that's kind of an interesting thing, too, is that, like, maybe that's part of the problem. Is that like there is less room for king making of creators because people are more focused on the IP? I don't know. Well, I think that was always true to an extent. Uh, yeah, I think, to an extent. I think yes to that, but also the fact that, you know, the market decides what is worth something. And so the same people who celebrate Miles or Riri Williams aren't necessarily comic book readers. They're not necessarily the same people who are going to go buy the books. And those those characters' creations are actually significant for reasons outside of their quality as characters. Mm-hmm. I, 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 <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I guarantee you that more, way more people know Miles from Into the Spider-Verse or the Spider-Man games mm-hmm. than have or will ever see him in a book. Yeah. And on top of that, Miles Morales books struggle to actually stay on shelves in the sense that Marvel has nearly or has canceled yeah. um, Miles books a lot. Even the well, the most recent volume, Riri Williams couldn't sustain her own book. Yeah. But everybody somehow talks about the fact that these characters are relevant. Relevant how? In what space? Not in the comic space. And the online article that, space. That disparity is a new one. Yeah, that is true. And I think something that's interesting is that, like, with the Miles thing, it's it's worth asking the question, too, is, like, is the issue that readers didn't want Miles or that they weren't telling stories that resonated about him? Because, like, they went on that – there was that whole, like, they were trying to make him a spy and, like, all this stuff that's not what people have connected with to him in, like, you know, mass culture, right? Like, what people have connected with with him is that he was, you know, Spider-Man. Right, that he's like close to the ground, that he's a, a young kid, that he's vulnerable, and that he's a man of color. Right, like those are the things that fucking like put that character up and over. Um, and if the books aren't like necessarily like serving that, you know, because they brought him into six one six and they have to find things for him to do now that he's not the Spider Man of his universe. Like, there, there's so many like qualifiers to the question um, that it becomes hard to kind of like sift through it and understand like. What are the factors that are actually relevant to the way things are right now? I don't think that though. I think I don't think those qualifiers actually exist because you can see it across the board. Uh, Miss Marvel has struggled to always keep a book successful. Riri Williams 
Miles Morales. They all have the same problem. And all of those characters are characters that people celebrate for reasons other than the quality of their books. And I actually feel like Miss Marvel is a tremendous character that G. Willow Wilson did a really, really good job with. But for whatever reason, they just could not sell that damn book. Miles Morales, Ultimate Spider-Man, really cool. After he got uh, into 616, you know, it was all right. It was all right. Um, But the sales have really never reflected the way that I feel about the character. Mm -hmm. And I think that, look, we've had this conversation on the show many times. Comic book fans have said they don't want diversity in their books. And so it's not a surprise that in a white male-dominated uh you know, industry as it relates to who the consumer is, that characters that are new and teenagers and minorities are going to struggle to sell. That's not shocking to me. And we're also not talking about characters created by new creators. We're talking about characters, well, in the case of uh, Riri, we are, but that, I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be rude. I can't even remember the name of the woman who created her. Um, Wait, wasn't, wasn't Riri she... Bendis too? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I, I, sorry, the I was artist. thinking about the the woman who wrote who wrote the character after uh, oh, yeah, after yes. the fact. Okay. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, like two of those are Bendis creations. One of them is a creation of G Willow Wilson. Who was Bendis new, is not a new right? creator. No. Like I don't, G Willow Wilson hadn't done anything major before Miss Marvel, right? Uh no, not to yeah. my knowledge. Um. Yeah, I think what's going to be interesting is, like, what are the sales on books about those characters, like, in a few years? Because, like, I, I wonder, right? Like, could you make a uh, a Miles book, like, five years from now that sells better because kids who grew up watching Spider-Verse or whatever are more invested in, in Miles as a kid? You know what I mean? Like, it's interesting well, to think about that, too. Even now, I'd be interested to see what the numbers for kids books with those characters look like but yeah or will look like in a few years right no no no. i'm saying now Mm. like there are kids books out there with kids who like those characters and read kids books with those characters Mm. i'd be interested to see those numbers to sort of yeah to see if they yeah you know correlate you know what the difference is where i was growing up boy i sound old saying that sentence but but when i was growing up you know i was reading these I was reading the mainline Marvel and DC books that were being published and the ones that interested me. So, like, even if I didn't have the money, I would ask my parents or whoever to to buy it for me. And, you know, you have to imagine that demographic of people that are young and and are just getting into comics because of stuff like that. Like, you know, they're part of the same group of people buying comics, right? I can't imagine yeah. it'd be significantly different in five years from that audience standpoint when they're 18, 19, 20, 21, whatever years old. For some reason, I heard what you said, but I couldn't understand it. Uh, yeah, I had the same problem. <laughs> uh, great. Let me try that again. Basically, I'm saying like I was part of the same revenue share for Marvel and DC Comics when I was 12, 13, 14 years old because those are the books I was buying at that age or having someone else buy for me. Fast forward eight years later, you know, I'm buying whatever books I want. So I'm saying the people that like Miles Morales or whatever now that are young, are they not part of the same group of people buying comics that everyone else is buying? I sure, see. I'm, 
I'm I'm kind of um, talking about even younger kids though, right? Yeah. Like Kale was talking about like yeah. the kids who are reading YA stuff now, mm-hmm. and like because like again, like to take it back younger to being a little kid, right? Like I grew up watching. The Spider-Man cartoon. I had the Neversoft Spider-Man game. I had Spider-Man action figures. It wasn't until I was a teenager that I started buying Spider-Man comics, really. You know, like, I might have had the odd one, but I didn't really start collecting and going to comics and engaging with comics until I was, like, 14 or 15. Um, With rare exception. You know, I might get to a comic book store once or twice a year before that. Um, So I wasn't a significant revenue driver for them. But I became one. And that was because they nurtured my interest in characters through other multimedia. And I wonder if you might not see that, because, like, I know anecdotally, right, like, I've had people who don't read comics uh, reach out to me and be like, oh, I I played the Miles Morales PS5 game, and I really liked it. What's a Miles book I could read? Or, like, I watched Into the Spider-Verse, and I think Miles is really cool, and I like him better than Peter. What's a book I could read? You know? And, like, um, that might happen for Miss Marvel in a couple years, too, you know? I'm sure, like, the think tank people for Disney and and Warner Brothers you know, do think about things like this, like characters that might have long-term growth potential or whatever. But I feel like we're, we're deviating from like the root of the conversation, which is like more creator oriented instead of IP yeah. or character oriented. And something I kind of wanted to talk about uh, with regard to that subject is how a lot of the people that we kind of penciled in as successors, as, as top, top people in this industry, haven't been able to sustain it. So like I think of a Scott Snyder or Tom King, who were both people that were kind of penciled mm-hmm. in. And, and Snyder did have a good window. But, I mean, you know, at this point, I feel like his star power dropped off big time over the last five years. And Tom King, you know, a little bit like a white dwarf star kind of thing where it flashed brilliantly in the beginning. And people, uh, he's a lot more controversial now. So, so you know, people that we kind of penciled in to be the great successors of your, your Jeff Johns, your Brian Michael Bendis's, whom have you haven't exactly panned out to fulfill the to kind of fit those shoes that their predecessors wore. Sure. I think th- there are, there are, shoot, there are even more examples than, than just that. Sure. Um, but um, Snyder, I, I don't know if I would throw Snyder in that camp. I, I think, um, I feel like he, he, he is one of those people that did drive the industry. And the only reason why he won't be, is because he doesn't want to pay to 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 get paid what DC wants to pay him, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think he sees an opportunity for himself to make more money doing his own thing and freelancing for DC. Yeah. Um, and you know, we don't necessarily know all of the the uh, future ramifications of that decision as it relates to his work at DC Comics. But I don't think the story is told for Snyder yet. Okay, King. Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty clear, right, that, like, he's kind of in his own little corner of DC and not the kind of writer that they want to let push things because Batman yeah. just didn't work out. And neither did Heroes for Crisis. And that, I mean, listen, uh, the less said about that, the better, right? Um, you even got the name wrong. What do you say? Heroes, in- heroes for Crisis. Is that what I said? Well, crisis. I meant Heroes in Crisis yeah. if I said that. Yeah. Hey, Heroes for Crisis, King of Black. King of Black. <laughs> <laughs> we know comics on this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. I, I was I was just going to say, I guess to, to pull on what Phil was saying, right, to take it back, like, I feel like I feel like it's kind of a multifaceted issue. I think it's like there there are a lot of 
it's like a death by a thousand cut situation, right? Of a lot of little reasons why there isn't this, um, I don't know, right? Like brat pack of this era, right? There's not this, this class of creators that you look at as the next generation for a lot of different reasons. I think they're spread out in a lot of different ways. I think a lot of sometimes like significant contributions aren't apparent at the time, right? Because like, think about the G. Willow Wilson example. If Miss Marvel comes out and becomes a huge fucking deal, all of a sudden G. Willow Wilson is like a, you know, all-time famous comic creator for creating this hugely relevant character, but not because of the books. And that's also a unique thing. That's never happened before. Um, Would you say that that's the case for her? No, not now, but I think it could be, hmm. right? Like, is that if if, Ms. if the Miss Marvel show comes out, right, and then you see an explosion of popularity for that character, and she's still relevant 5, 10, 15 years from now as, like, a, you know, big deal marquee Marvel character, um, that would be the case then, right? In the way that, you know, so. you don't think? No. I think, I think a lot of it ultimately kind of dancing around it is this comic books aren't as popular as they once were and i think that's ultimately what it is and pete i think your decentralization comment kind of comes home to roost here because when you do do really well for a marvel dc book you're more inclined to want to go do something on your own which is good for your independent capital if you're a matt fraction or whom have you but if you know for, for the strength and in and in, 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 uh, health of the like core comic book industry it's not necessarily the best thing because you know it, it seems like marvel or dc can't either afford to pay you what you can get by privately publishing your own titles or you know it's just they don't sell well enough to justify something like that well or they shovel your you know your idea off to be a movie and you don't see much of anything that's a good it. point too yeah yeah I, I think that's a huge thing is that like ip uh Again, like this is not really a thing you were able to do a couple years ago. Like I don't, I don't think that the the pipeline for like making a creator owned book to becoming a fucking millionaire was as clear a few years ago, right? Like I, I, it, we talked about this in the Legacy of the Walking Dead episode. I think that's the long term legacy of the of Kirkman's career is that like he paved a way and showed that you could go from being you know he was living in Kentucky and writing in his basement and now he's a multi-millionaire, right? And he's like a, a, a force in Hollywood um, because he wrote a popular comic book. And, like, why the fuck would you write your magnum opus for Marvel or DC? You won't own it. Yeah. Ever. And Alan Moore in the house, everyone. Right. Exactly. You know? And, and like... And and not only will you not own it, not only will you not see residuals and all that stuff, they'll be able to do whatever the fuck they want with it forever, right? And they can twist it and turn it and do whatever. And, like, that's not a good feeling. You know, I think there are a lot of creators who get a huge amount of satisfaction and creative fulfillment out of adding to the legacy of Marvel and DC. But I think there's just as many who feel like they've been taken advantage of and chewed up and spit out. And... They have a lot more to gain from working for themselves, not to mention a lot more freedom. Yeah, unless you're just like a Jeff Loeb or something that finds a way into like the the weavings of Marvel, you know, making money that way by being part of the very fabric of it. It's exactly right. Well, I think we started this conversation with with Bendis, and I I do think that this shift is emblematic of a change in the industry that uh, will be interesting to watch for the next few years. You know, do creators like 
say Leah Williams, Vita Ayala, um, Donny Cates, um, you know, several others. Tom Taylor's another good one. Mariko Tamaki. Do these creators continue to rise and potentially step in to fill that void that we're all kind of feeling exists? Or are we just past the, t- the days of creators who are really the drivers and, and, and are these characters really more the draw uh, rather than the the person that's writing them? It's, it's going to be interesting to watch. I don't think that the jury is completely out. I think we're still uh, a few years away from having a definitive answer. And it's going to be interesting also to see how that does actually impact the sales of some of these books when you don't have a big name writing them. Uh, do they still sell? Do people still show up? Hmm. So I would love to hear what you guys at home or wherever you're listening to us think about this topic. Certainly there are creators that you follow when you read books. There are creators who you say, oh, um, Donnie Cates is on this book. I got to get it. Uh, do you are, are, Is that list shortening for you of creators who are must-haves? How many of those creators are artists? Because in the 90s, that was something that drew maybe even more than who the writer was, was who the artist was. And we've seen that kind of reverse. Uh, So let us know your thoughts on all that stuff. You can get us all over the internet at the Comics Pals. Make sure that you guys are leaving a review uh, wherever it is that you listen to us. It helps us out a lot. Get us on social at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can drop us a like, subscribe to our channel, share this video with your friends, uh, make sure to leave a comment. All of those things are free to do and they help us out a ton. Uh, If you want to hear our thoughts on X-Men 17 and or Strange Adventures number 8, you can do so by heading on over to that episode of our our podcast. It's going to be separate from this episode, so you will have to click one additional button, but that will take you to our review of those books. Come join our Discord server to talk about those books or anything else you want to talk about. Um, as we sorry, as we schedule our Zack Snyder's Justice League watch along, you're going to want to be on our Discord to be kept aware of when we are doing that. And the last thing I have to say before I stop talking is that you should go check out our Civil War book club. It's out. It's hot off the presses. You're going to love it. If you're a fan of Civil War or if you've never heard it before, I think you will get a lot out of our conversation. But with that, let's jump into the plugs. Pete. Uh, I'll add one more additional. Go check out episode four of We Watch WandaVision. Oh, yes. There you go. We're putting out a lot of content these days. It's good times. <laughs> um, so go check all that stuff out. Uh, come be a part of the community. We, we've been having some fun. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Uh, you want to connect with me? I'm Loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. You can go check out uh, the Nintendo podcast. I do the podcast. It, po- it posts every Monday wherever you go and get your podcasts. Uh, and then you can also go check out the latest single from my band, Long Friend, Time Friend. Uh, we just put out a new one um, called Remedy. Uh, it's the first song we ever wrote together. So go check it out. Awesome. Uh, Kale. Uh, y'all, I'm back. Hey, Sorry. he's uh, back. You can find me at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. I'm dipping my toes back into Twitter, but don't expect anything. Uh, you can find me in pictures of my dog on Instagram, though. Same same address. Uh, yo, how about that Shin Ultraman trailer, huh? Yeah. Yo. Okay. Uh, you can find Marco at Mr. Marco Animoto. Awesome. Uh, Phil. 
That's right. You can find Marco there. And you know what else you can do? You can donate to the GoFundMe since he's, you know, basically in financial ruin now, banking on DC when I don't have any premier writers anymore since Bendis left. And since he's free of that exclusive contract, soon you'll be free of us as well. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and what? Instagram at Toto and Toe. That's T-O-T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O. And uh, make sure you go vote for me in the X-Men poll. Big boy Phil. Great. All right. As for me, uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. You can hit me up there to talk about whatever you want. But if you really want to interact with me, definitely come join our Discord server. And uh, let's chat about comics because they're good with that you're the comics pal signing off take care guys did you guys see gene gray got a new outfit this week hot fire <laughs> <laughs>